0: Hi everyone, welcome back to Across the Room, the Romaverse. This is our second recording of the week, as you may have noticed. That's because Sean and I are back here for a special mid season report card edition of Across the Romaverse. We'll be giving out uh, not so much grades, but talking about some of the, the key players, big moments, disappointing events from the first half of the season. So, weighing in on the good and the bad, and even the ugly here with Roma, as there's always some ugly uh, in the Romaverse, unfortunately. But um, before we get into all the mid season stuff, Sean has a couple uh recent events that he'd like to weigh in on so sean why don't you uh tell the audience what you wanted to talk about
1: yeah i, I had it on my mind all night to get into this ibrahimovic lukaku thing that came up yesterday after the milan darby in the cup where inter eventually came out 2-1 winners but ac milan took the lead for ibrahimovic uh struck ba- uh, inter struck back through lukaku and then in the end uh, christina erickson gets the winner but uh the highlight of the match was really, um, as he said, off the air, um, the passion getting injected back into the game with uh, uh, Romelu Lukaku and Zlatan Ibrahimovic's face-off. Um, what was reportedly said, and we know we have the audios now, for, at least from Ibrahimovic's side, was um, him calling Lukaku, Lukaku sorry, a little donkey and uh, basically bringing up the, the past where Lukaku was linked with a True or otherwise, with uh, practicing with voodoo practices through his mother, and uh, Lukaku, from, from Lukaku's side, he was no angel either. He was, you know, you know saying uh, basically saying all sorts about Rich's wife and his mother as well. So um, basically, two athletes going as far as they possibly could to wind each other up on the pitch. But uh, I read a, an article about this, uh, covering this uh, from Ultimate Womo this morning, and uh, the part they highlighted in their tweet. Made the article sound like it was going to be a lot more superficial and a lot more uh, politically correct than I expected. When, when I read the article itself, it went into it's a really good article, and it went into background on everyone concerned. So I wanted to bring this up with you, Stephen, today and get your take on it because I don't think that this is a an incident that uh, has really been It has more to it than your typical your typical like um, you know did did he go too far. Did these players um, racially abuse one another, etc., cetera, etc.? Cetera. Like this this really has a cocktail for everyone in, in the sense that one there's Robin Lukaku, who's a, you know, a new arrival to City. Uh, Congolese. I'm not sure what his background is. Something about Congolese, a mixture of that and something European um, coming to Italy, and he's already been involved in uh, the the Black Friday headline from last mm. season. Uh, you know, he's a black player, and then there's party number two is who's who's no you know he's he's no um he's not part of any majority himself he comes from a gypsy background and mm-hmm. i don't mean gypsy as an insult i mean he, he literally comes from the gypsy race uh he was an immigrant to sweden coming up in a, a rough neighborhood in malmo Is him and his family were treated like outsiders and then you have uh element number three which this ultimate one more article touched upon and i thought it was really good was the fact that both Lukaku and Ibn Rich used insults towards uh, the, the other's mother. And in Italy, that tends to be far more offensive to the average Italian than anything to do with race. Mm-hmm. So that was really like what people took as the reaction, at least inside of Italy this morning, which is, oh my God, look at what Lukaku said. Uh, some people took that as though Italians were trying to sweep the, the sort of like the more intolerant, uh, you know, I don't know if you want to call it quote unquote racist element about it under, under the carpet. But I thought it was just a natural reaction, as, as um, that really says a lot about uh, what can offend people in Italy or not. Um, and I wanted to take, I wanted, I wanted your take on it in terms of, do you think anyone crossed the line? And also, you know, not, I'm not asking you for a judgment in terms of like uh, just uh, you know, judgment on perfect strangers, but just from your background, you know, what what would. What would be more important to you in this in this situation, in terms of if if you were involved?
0: Yeah, so it's funny um, you say that about the mothers because my wife and I have been binging The Sopranos uh, recently on HBO, and yeah. in that in in that mafia culture, which is connected to Italian culture in some ways, you know, m- mothers are off limits, mothers and wives. So yeah. it, it's funny that the Italian press picked up on the mother insults more than um, the the uh, voodoo insult towards Lukaku's mother, because that could be, you know, connotated as racism in some ways, I guess you could say, because it's associated with, um, you know, the African culture, I guess. And I, I guess, you know, and, and this may be, and I'm not defending Italian culture in any way, because this is the 21st century and and we know the issues that we've seen with racism and SETI on the past couple of years, but it almost goes to show the cultural differences that sometimes go into what some cultures find offensive and others don't. And it, it's really interesting because, you know, growing up here in the States, uh, you know, you know, not so much myself, but you would see other uh, adolescents interacting, especially in the middle school age level, you know, where kids are just starting to hit adolescence and they want to be tough guys. And, you know, who insults whose yeah. mother? And it's always like the mother insult is always the the big one to put things over the top and, you know, really yeah. rile the other person up. So, it's kind of funny, uh, in some ways. I don't know if these two have any past when they were at United. I'm pretty sure they were at United together for a bit when they, they
1: had, did. Yeah, they had, they had one season at the club together, uh, where Ibrahimovic was, uh, you know, still on the shelf from that that yeah. horrible knee injury, and Lukaku was brought in for 85 million as effectively as a de facto replacement. Yeah, so there, was, there was tension there from the start. Yeah,
0: but, so I'm sure there's some personal tension to begin with. Yeah.
1: but what I read was that Lukaku's only ever before this incident, Lukaku's only ever been praiseworthy towards Ibra Rich in terms of how he was an influence mm. on his career yeah so this sort of like this changed the t- chapter in, in, in a sense in that yeah like, it seemed like Ibra took um you know did his research on what you know what buttons to press for mm-hmm. Lukaku before this match and just decided look this guy is no longer my, my former teammate he's my yeah. enemy now
0: and and, and I Ibra could see Ibra being a real bastard if he wants to you know he's got that that persona and I was was saying to my buddy, you know, that'd be a real heavyweight battle if the two of them went at it because they're two big boys and Ibra's got his, I think, Taekwondo or some kind of martial art background where he's a black belt. So um, it would certainly make for, I saw David Amoyal uh, tweet out, you know, if they wanted to raise money for charity, they can go on pay-per-view and and go (laughs) out and people would probably pay good money for it. But um, yeah, from the point you brought up earlier, I'm, you know, I'm glad to hear that nothing like you know there's no like racial slurs used or things like that because that that's been such a big issue um yeah. and I think it was more just pushing buttons at each other personally than on a racial level so that's in some ways a relief I guess you could say because we've seen the issues in Italy with that and um you know I, I don't know it's I, I think it was two guys who are big competitors trying to get under each other's skin and Ibra clearly got under his skin because Lukaku was not very happy But in the end, he got the last laugh because uh, he scored the penalty kick to tie it. And Eber got the red card on that second yellow, which was really a tactical foul. I didn't get to watch the match or saw the highlights. And I don't know what Iber was thinking there. So Lukaku got the last laugh. And I'm sure when these teams go at it again in the second half of the season, it will certainly be uh, a match worth tuning into to see if, you know, there's any more tension build up because derbies are fun to begin with. Um, yeah. And there's usually passion in those derbies unfortunately, the Rome Derby recently lacked that passion from Roma, which we were disappointed in. But uh, the Milan Derby could be a top of the table battle again and it could be really interesting the second time around.
1: I agree, I agree yeah I, I, I just I thought it was interesting because it was two guys who aren't part of the majority as it both mm-hmm. minority players in a sense, um, abusing one another. Uh, I imagine you know, if you come from a background like that where, you probably put up with a lot of shit in, in Sweden yeah. or or in you know wherever Lukaku grew up. Belgium, as well. um, yeah, Belgium. Then uh, you you know there's, there's that much more temptation to then take the abuse you've been with as an adolescent and, and, and use that in your adult life. You know, mm-hmm. so it was it's interesting to see them go to get, you know go hammer and tongs at it and take the gloves off, and then to have the the majority's reaction today uh, in terms of you know the the sort of like average Italians' interpretation or even average American, average average British man. Because uh, one, one thing I wrote on the site a while back was about Chris Smalling. It was actually after the Smalling-Lukaku incident where I, I felt strongly that the people most affected by it should, should get the, their say and that be that. Mm. Uh, what we saw was really people speaking on behalf of Smalling and, and Lukaku and taking offense on their behalf. Um, and that, goes in, that ties into sort of like the, the recent incident app with Edison Cavani. Which I, I didn't necessarily agree with, but I thought it was it was it was close to what I was trying to the point I was trying to get across. When United hit back and said, "Look, um, uh, what the FA has done in terms of suspending Cavani for his use of language on Instagram is their interpretation um, of something that, in his culture, would otherwise be harmless." You yeah? know, and uh, that they, they they chose to call that a form of discrimination. Um, I I didn't necessarily agree with that one hundred percent, but that's more or less what I was getting at was that, you know, what, through what lens do we judge these incidents? You know, sometimes it, it for me yeah. it has to be the people most affected have to have the biggest say.
0: And I, I remember that reminds me, cause you said Cavani, I thought he, Uruguay. And, um, I, I remember Suarez had an issue, I believe, uh, a couple of years back with Patrice ever, right. When they were playing in the, the premier yeah. league and yeah. I have a, one of my best friends is Uruguayan. And he said like in Uruguayan culture, um, it's it's almost like a form of endearment when when they use a certain word. I remember the word in Spanish, but it was the word that Evra or the media or whoever it was took offense to. And sometimes yeah, I, think ha- was
1: neg- I think it was I think it was negrito and Yeah, and
0: yes, and in in that culture, I guess if you have uh, a dark skinned friend in Uruguay, that's kind of a term of endearment. But of course, yeah. you know, you come across the pond, so to speak, and you're in a different cultural lens, and things are interpreted differently. So it's always interesting to see because there's so much cross cultural like pollination so to speak in football because so many players move from country to country to play um mm-hmm. yeah I, I think that's a an interesting point you bring up and it, it's something that is so hard to you know wrap your head around sometimes because what is seen in uruguay one way is seen in you know the uk a different way is seen in italy yeah. a different way and then france a different way so yeah it, it, that's why we have so much so many talking points i think on this matter you know straight yeah. racism aside that we've seen in setia at times because that's you yeah know, whole different category but just these yeah. little player to player interactions i think it's a you could have we could have a whole podcast on this and probably gone for hours exactly.
1: you know I, I i you know, don't tempt me because i would i would actually do it <laughs> but uh you know if, if anyone who's listening to us uh, wants to speak to us on on the forum or twitter about it uh, you know i'll definitely listen to your take on it um you know just to be clear i'm absolutely not defending or trying to excuse any form of racism whatsoever uh, you know, i I'm, i was the guy who I, in this situation, I'd be most likely to come down on Ibra because I'm—I'm—I used to be a big fan of his. I'm a bit tired of his acts by, by now. Um, you know, you'd expect me to wait and say, you know, yes, he abused someone. But it's funny enough—I took a look at the incident. I read about it this morning, and I'm not convinced that anyone really crossed the line or had it like real malicious intent behind what was said and done yesterday. I just felt like it was something that uh, two two guys from. You know, from a background where you just you don't let back you know they they put they mm-hmm. it onto the pitch and uh yeah hopefully it's left at that but we'll see
0: yeah yeah I'll just throw in one more thing I think when you grow up in those situations like you said and you come from the meaner streets and you're used to that you know going back and forth I think that's what it was you know um and like you said we'll leave it at that and you want to mention one other thing uh Sean about uh Marco Savarani, right the Roma goalkeeper coach
1: yeah, I just thought it'd be good for us to touch on uh, what's going on this week. I mean, not just Savarani. We could talk about the, the transfers. We had we had some mm-hmm. players linked today. I don't know what you th- make of them, but uh, first of all, Savarani. We had Jonas today publish uh, an article arguing that Roma must do everything they can to get Savarani signed to an extension. His contract is up this summer after serving, for the, uh, serving as the senior head goalkeeper coach uh, since 2014. It should be said that his mentor was the Goalkeeping coach before him, before he was uh, promoted to Primavera, and the club were delivering great results with uh, Savrani's predecessor as well. So it's a bit of a, you know, there's a, there's a legacy there that that goes beyond mm-hmm. Savrani. But uh, he Savrani is the guy who um, turned about uh, Woj, Wojciech Wojcik's career, um, sort of like brought Allison to senior football, um, and uh, I give him credit for. Uh, Skorupski as well as yeah. uh, was our reserve keeper, who's, who's now a full Serie A starter. Uh, he also, Savrani was in charge of um, supposedly, uh, reportedly, uh, telling Monty, yes, sign Robin Olsen, uh, telling Gianluca Petrati, yes, sign Paul Lopez. So there's a mixed bag there, but how how important do you make uh, Savrani out to be at the club?
0: Yeah, it's um, it's hard to say in some ways when you see, you know, if you had asked this question, two seasons ago before the Lopez signing and it was just Olsen as the black mark. I think it would be a little bit easier to say, you know what? They made one mistake on the market. Olsen, maybe he saw something in the size and maybe he wanted to take a chance on it. It didn't work out. didn't work out. Um, Because Chesney and Allison became two of the best goalkeepers in Europe under his, his watch. Now, Allison, we know is an extremely talented player. um, Just needed to be refined a bit because he was very young, Whereas Chesney had a a career in the Premier League with a big club like Arsenal, and maybe just needed to be reawakened a bit, so to speak, and you know, um, out of a bad situation. But um, these other two make you wonder, and I'm, you know, I think the results are there to keep him around at least for another. Maybe if they bring in another talented keeper like a Cranio or someone like that, that I'd love to see come to Roma. um, I think he could produce obviously better results than he's done with these last two. But Olsen came in fairly highly regarded, uh, not Olsen, rather, uh, Lopez came in fairly highly regarded. Roma paid the highest transfer for a goal that they've ever paid for him, and it was in the 20-something yeah. million range. Um, I don't know what's going on with him.
1: The, it sh- should be said 12 months earlier, that is, signed him on the free.
0: Yeah, yeah, so uh, great plus Valenza there, speaking of yeah. all those uh, financials we always talk about, um, but I don't know with Lopez, because we see the we see flashes of what could be with him. So it could be more of a mental block with him too. At times you have to think like that play in the Copa last week that got him the red card. It was like, almost like, yeah. what, what is he doing? Um, yeah. you know, so sometimes a, a coach can only do so much also. Um, mm-hmm. but I, I think his, his results speak enough to hit him sticking around. What do you think?
1: I, I, I would, I want to go away and, uh, sort of like, put some more substance behind my answer but my my first impulse is that I find Savrani is spoken about whenever he is spoken about as someone who's um well actually to borrow Jonas's words today he actually said he's a miracle worker and I find that uh, that's that's taken it too far for me because like when you look at Savrani's record so far it's better than chance. It's in it's, it like 60, 70% range of good work, which is more than good enough. You know, mm-hmm. you, you use that to call yourself an expert. So he's, he's clearly good at his job, but uh, he doesn't, you know, if I compare him to like successes of other goalkeeping coaches at other clubs right now, which I have no clue about, I'd have to go away and research, but I, I imagine that it wouldn't, he wouldn't necessarily stand out as like someone who's way, 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 way more successful than any other coach in the league. Uh, I could be wrong about that, but um, my opinion is that I see no reason why you'd let Savrani go. Uh, you know, if, if, he, if he's willing to stay, definitely keep him on. If he's not, I just don't – I don't feel it's made out – it's such a disaster as, as made out to be. But uh, I guess it depends on who's ready to replace him as well.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I agree. All right. On that note, we'll move into our midseason report. Um, we'll just start with a, a quick rundown of the Serie a table. So, you know, to – to kind of lay the groundwork. So Roma currently sits third in Serie A on 37 points. Milan tops the table on 43, followed by Inter on 41. And then nipping at Roma's heels are Juventus and Atalanta at level on 36 points. Uh, Juve, to note, does have a match in hand. So they could easily uh, leapfrog Roma with a win in that match in hand. Following those two teams is Napoli on 34. They also have a match in hand because it's their match against Juventus that has to be made up. So uh, in an ideal world, when that match is made up, almost probably rooting for a draw, but um, Napoli's on 34, followed by Lazio, also on 34. It's the match in hand that puts Napoli ahead of them. Um, and then you have Verona, this coming week's opponent's on 30, along with Sassuolo. Uh, Sampdoria rounds out the top 10 on 26. And then uh, you go to the bottom half and you have Benevento, 22, a bit of a surprise there on 11th place. Fiorentina, 21, starting to drag themselves away from the relegation zone uh, after a rough start. Uh, Bologna 20, Udinese 18, along with Spezia and Genoa. Um, And then you have the four teams that are really uh, around that relegation zone, which are Torino and Cagliari on 14, a couple big clubs there, bigger clubs, so to speak, compared to those normal relegation battlers. Then you have Parma on 13 and Crotone on 12. So Roma sitting in a a very strong position in the table, probably better than many people would have expected going into the season. Um, You know, their goal scoring has a lot to do with it because Roma is currently Level third for goals scored in Serie A with 41, just four behind leaders Inter in that category. But where Roma's issues have been is in the defensive side where they are, I believe, 13th, giving up 32 goals. So their goal differential is only a plus nine, which is, uh, you know, compared to the other top teams in the table, not so good because you have teams like Milan at plus 17, Inter plus 22, Atalanta plus 21, Juve plus 19, Napoli plus 22. So all those clubs that are immediately around them have a much better uh, goal differential. Until so you get to seventh place, Lazio and eighth place, Verona are teams in a similar plus minus uh, to Roma. You know, so that's been kind of the big story. I think is if they shore up that defense, you know, they might have the ability to fly a bit higher or at least hold that top mm. four position because the goal scoring has been there. That hasn't been a problem like we've seen in some past seasons. Um, so we'll start with, uh, you know, the whole team. We'll talk about a, a team portion of the, the the pod, and then we'll get into more individual things. So, Sean, let's start with the team. Um, I know we had talked about it before we started that it's kind of hard to pick out individual moments, but um, do you have anything that stood out to you as positive this year from the team or maybe uh, some negative moments that have stood out to you?
1: I, as team-wise, I think they... The, um, the way that Fonseca has adapted to the players is um, it speaks well for most people. Obviously, one guy, Edin Dzeko, isn't very happy about it because it doesn't play to his strengths. But um, the way Fonseca has started his work from last spring till now in terms of turning Roma into a far more vertical team that stretches games and uh, tries to make it a foot race to goal on the counter um, it's brought out the best in a lot of people, um, you know, especially Lorenzo Pellegrini, you know, to, to name a few, but uh, um, Brian Castrante as well. You know? So um, I guess I, I don't really have a particular moment coming up, like jumping off the top of my head right now. But when I look at um, how our play has resurrected, you know, or, or even pushed other some players to high levels like Cristante, Pellegrini, Perez, uh, Rick Karsdorp. Um, even settled down players like Leonardo Spinazzola, we you know we we've spoken about this in the weeks gone by. So I'm, I'm just covering old territory here. But for me, that that's really what it is: is uh, Roma have met Roma under Fonseca have managed to keep the value of almost the entire squad at a very respectable level, and uh, I think that that's pretty important in this you know COVID struck time where uh, clubs are losing money left, right, and center. Uh, you want to have a, a a squad that. People wanna to, wanna to knock on your door and say, Hey, you know, I like to look at that player. Uh, you know, is he is he staying long or is he, you know, is he up for up for grabs? Uh you know, there's some, some players that um wouldn't have wouldn't have had any suitors twelve months ago now have a have a market for themselves. So I think that's that's a good thing. Or even from a sports level, I, I like to see those players doing well on the pitch and they are. Uh, What about you?
0: Yeah, I have to agree from a a team standpoint. I think that's been one of Fonseca's strengths. And we'll get into Fonseca a little bit later in the pod after the individual players. But I think that has to be considered a quote-unquote best – it's not an individual moment, but a theme from this season that has to be uh, something that he's praised for and that Roma's praised for. Some of those sort of players that were looking like busts and wastes of money at at points in the past couple seasons are coming Mm. good on their their value. Um, If I had to pick like an individual match or moment – I don't want to be, uh, you know, stuck in the moment, so to speak, because it just happened so recently. But I think Pellegrini's goal on this past Saturday has to be one of the top moments of the season, just because of the circumstances surrounding that match, getting bumped out of the Coppa Italia in humiliating fashion to Spezia, who was the same opponent on Saturday, um, hammered in the Derby, the match for Fonseca's job, apparently on the line going into that match. Um, And I think it was a good chance he might have been gone if they didn't win that match. So I think that was a, a big moment. I also think back to the beginning of the season when they played Juve. And it was disappointing in some ways that they drew that match to Juve because they, they had a good chance to win it. But I think um, getting over that mental hurdle and getting a point off Juve early in the season was good. I know we'll talk about their struggles against big teams probably a little bit in this episode. But I think just uh, showing that they could go toe-to-toe with a Juve was so big early in the season. Because I remember when they gave up the tying goal uh, at 1-1, they went right back down the pitch and struck right back against Juve. And I feel like some teams in the past uh, would not have done that for Roma against a team like Juve. They might've yeah. gotten punched in the mouth and back down to the bullies, but instead they went right back at them. And I thought that was a big moment for the team. Um, yeah. You know, I wish they could have followed it up with better results against some of the other big opponents, but I thought that was big for them.
1: Yeah, I I've, I do actually have one moment that that, uh, picks, that paints a picture of my point quite nicely. It's uh, the match against Grattoni where hmm. there was a move. It, it didn't end up in a goal, but it was ridiculously good where Cristante was moving the ball between the defence, between the midfield, between the attack. He must have linked up, uh, you know, one, two passes all over that, that moment in that same sequence of play between him and at least five, if not six or more, other other Roman teammates. And, uh, you know, we've seen some sometimes some toties kind of first passing, first time passing from Brian Cristante. with yeah. that, that was a moment where he was like really at the center of play, the, the heartbeat of the team. Yes, it was against Crotone, but what it, what it showed was um, Roma players supporting each other, offering the guy on the ball options, you know, two two or more options to pass it to uh, Roma teammates, moving around opponents so that he could create space for Cristante to to provide those three balls and find a teammate. And uh, it was done fast as well, very lucid, um, and just it cut them cut the opponents open to shreds. With, you know, it was just. Really, really sublime stuff to watch, and we've had we've had two or three of those moments throughout the early season that haven't ended up in goals. But had they been scored, it would have been easily uh, you know Serie A contender for team goal of the season. So I like that. I like that we're playing so condensed and that we're we're crowding out areas of the pitch where we want to be crowding them out around the ball. And, you know, sort of outnumbering opponents in that sense. Those are the the moments I like the most on the Fonseca so far.
0: Yeah, yeah, I have to agree. Um, Some of those team plays have been very, very nice to watch on the counterattack and in other facets of the game. Uh, Moving into worst moments, it's hard to pick just one because we've had three very heavy defeats in the league to um, some direct competition as well as that Copa exit. But if I had to pick one match, I would probably have to pick the Lazio match. First, well, of course, it's a derby which is always a uh, big, but Roma didn't even show up in that match. You know, the Napoli match, I was always a little wary because it was the Maradona kind of send off match after his, his passing. And then, you know, Atalanta they've had our number at times, but I I went into that Lazio match saying, you know, if Roma's going to beat one team in the first half of the season, that's kind of direct competition for the champions. Like it has to be Lazio because they're the, the weakest so far on the table and, and Roma just came out so flat. And that to me was the most disappointing thing is they didn't even, it, it felt like it even show up for the Derby. So to, to for me, that's got to be the one that I pinpoint as the the worst match or moment of the season thus far. Mm.
1: I I agree with you, especially when it comes to the Napoli match. Uh, that I was that was highlighting one of my my well concerns about the team is that we we lack muscle out wide. We lack guys who um, will just win those those physical duels. And um, that was one you know, that was one where I felt like. Napoli heavily outflanked us. You know, they they, didn't, they didn't, if they need a big guy, they need Lorenzo Insigne on the wing. is diminutive, but uh, he's you know he's sharp enough that he can outfox our wide players. And when when you get when we get outflanked, we tend to get we just tend to fall into disarray. Um, it happened with a, a severe, to mm-hmm. like devastating effect, where we just second best the whole game and even shell shocked. Um, and that, that's my concern is that you know when when we come up against those teams that have um, more confident players out wide than we do. It's just, uh, it, we just fall into chaos. I don't like to see that. But I think my, you know, that's me agreeing with your point. But uh, the thing that I, worst moment that's worse than that is um, I'd say the UV equalizer. Mm. 10 minutes before it came, uh, Cristiano Ronaldo's goal. I just don't like, the thing I hate, hate the most thing um, is our standing. Five, six men in a line in a straight line, just waiting to either get hit by a ball over the top or, or by you know, getting carved open by passes done in front of us. It's just really. It, what I don't like about it is that it's just that's fear personified. You know, you yep. just you're you're are afraid of the result. We were two one up at the time, mm-hmm. and they just up a man in too.
0: Life.
1: Exactly. Um, you know, I, I'm not I'm not saying it. I don't like it in terms of you shouldn't be afraid. I mean, you know, fear is a natural emotion, but just. I don't like to see uh, when that happens that it's not necessarily confronted afterwards. Like, you know, it's it's disappointing when you hear all the talk before the match of, you know, all the stuff that coaches and, and players are supposed to say, yes, we believe in the team. We, we can really achieve something this season. And then you see them playing like that for 10 minutes. It's like, no yeah. oh, no, that, that there's the truth right there. You don't believe. It. So, um, you know, confront what your doubts are after the game and, and try and build on that. Try and build some self-belief from there. You know, I'd, I'd rather, those moments are more tender to me than any kind of press conference. So, yeah, that that was really my worst moment, it seems, was sitting back and waiting for a 10-man Juve to, to equalize against us. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, and, and especially after I had mentioned that moment in the first half, which I thought was a great moment where they kind of went right back at Juve. They, they kind of fell yeah. back in yeah. old ways for that 10-minute stretch, and it cost them two points, and yeah. we see in the table right now how big those two points might come back to be. Um, Mm -hmm. besides those, that administrative loss to Hellas, another down moment, because that point could come back to, to bite them too, in this tight table. But, um, besides those individual moments, there has been some trends that are concerning so far this season. Uh, the first and foremost is probably the record against the big team. Sean, what do you, what do you make of their struggles against the other top, uh, I guess eight teams in the league? They haven't beaten any of those other top eight, um, Milan, they drew Inter, they drew Juve, they drew. Uh, which is pretty good because those are the three the top four besides themselves but then they got hammered by Atalanta, Napoli and Lazio who are places five through seven. Uh, drew Hellas on the pitch zero zero, but lost it administratively because of that that holds um, DOR fiasco and then Sassuolo also a draw uh, on the pitch. So what do you make of the, those struggles against the other teams in the top half?
1: We touched upon this in the, in the written version of this uh, in the roundtable we did mm-hmm. this week and I think all of us are- Agreed that it's a mental problem almost almost exclusively. Yeah, um, it it can be nurtured by problems on, on the pitch as well, but uh, it's it's something where you just need to believe in your game and not not just in your plan A. Or actually, I really don't like the terms plan A, plan B, because uh, we we have the kind of game where we we switch between uh, options throughout the whole ninety minutes. So there's no real plan A or plan B with us. It's the players are. Um, trusted to make their own decisions on the fly, especially in midfield. Um, but um, yeah, I think it's it's a mental thing where you have to believe that you've seen it happen before, and you and you've seen yourself actually overcome the the mid game adjustments that our biggest opponents make against us. You know, so like if um, if Napoli decide to play. Uh, rope-a-dope for the first half now where they 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 leave a gap between their midfield and defence and sort of bait us into dropping it into there so they can win the ball and hit, hit us on the counter and make us feel like, oh my god, we're meant we're to be the counter-attacking team, but they're using our best assets to, to actually damage us. You know, instead of get, getting thrown into whirlwind of self-doubt about that, once you've been through that defeat, you've seen that happen, uh, you've seen the trap being set by an opponent, um, you need to be able to show yourself, whether it be on the training pitch or like real life in the game against a big opponent, that you can react to that. You can uh, actually keep on keep hold of the ball. You can pass it back to your defensive midfielders and let them circle the ball for a little bit and, and frustrate your opponent. And if, when you when you do that and you come out of those matches with a win, then you've got that experience under your belt where like, the players can believe more in themselves. You know like they've seen it happen before. Like, uh, this time next season, we could really be talking about a Roma team that faces Napoli. And they say, okay, um, you know, we, we see Napoli countering against us, but remember what happened last season. Um, eventually, maybe you know, the, the second fixture of this season, maybe Roma win that, and next season it's not a problem. You know, they've got that self belief of that having that experience under the belt. So that's what I make of it, really. Against the big opponents, I think it's um, I'm willing to give the team the benefit of the doubt that this is a second season kind of syndrome, in a sense, that it's it's like we've seen the 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 team chemistry come together over the first season, but now we're seeing the league react against uh, Roma's success of last season and uh, you know, set traps for them. So this second season could be used, you know, if you're optimistic, it could be used to, to go through these losses and learn from them. But by next season, I'd expect that the lessons are learned and that the players can can show they can react mid-game. Uh, you know, that's, that's my hope anyway. If we don't see that, then I don't know what the answer is, but what about you, Steve?
0: Yeah, I, I think it definitely has a lot to do with mental. Um, the most disappointing part to me in those big matches was, you know, we had mentioned the Juve match. Uh, going in a point was a great result. Coming out of it with the 10-man Juve, it didn't turn out to be as good of a result, but at least it was a draw. You know, same thing with Milan. I felt like they went toe-to-toe with the team that's right now at the top of the table. and went, you know, back and forth and ended up 3-3. Not an awful result up in the San Sierra The ones that really got me were, especially the Napoli and Atlanta matches where robo was pretty much playing with them for the first half it was the second half where those games just got completely out of control um mm-hmm. where they got hit once and then got hit twice and then they had no answer and then they just got
1: overrun um yeah.
0: you know those,
1: for- those are those are the two games where i feel um it was damaging in, in the sense that we set out to counter and instead they counted us mm-hmm. and they beat us at our own game
0: yeah Yeah. And the Atalanta match, you know, they were in it for a good while. I don't think the second Atalanta goal came until probably close to the 60th minute. So Roma had their, you know uh, they would, they could have had their chances, but they didn't really show up in the second half. And that, that's the disappointing part, especially from a mental standpoint. I know a lot of fingers get pointed at Fonseca for that, for, you know, the halftime adjustments are made by the other manager and he hasn't been able to adjust. Um, So hopefully they'll be able to game plan for those bigger teams better in the second half and learn from their mistakes, like you said, and, The Lazio game was, that was all mental. You know, they, Ibanez made the one mistake and all of a sudden the team broke, fell, fell apart. They had no answer. They, I think they had one shot on target in the whole Lazio match. uh, And I think they were down three, nothing at that point. So definitely a mental issue there. And then, you know, recently it's all, we've also seen another concerning trend, which are, you know, individual mistakes, uh, especially on defense. Uh, We've seen Lopez make mistakes. We've seen Ibanez, Kambula, even smalling this past weekend, make these individual errors. Um, you know, I hope they can get that fixed because, you know, those individual errors against Spezia might not have killed them because, you know, Rome was able to sh- strike back quickly, but we saw in the derby what it did to them when Ibanez made a couple of mistakes. So mm. what do you make of these individual errors all of a sudden, especially on the defensive end?
1: Well, we touched upon this just last episode. Yeah. So I think the only fresh thing I can say about it is what, what I brought up in uh, Totti today this week, where uh, we we it was uh, a piece where I covered them um, a copper disaster back in September of 2000, early in the beginning of the season, where Roma were, you know, they, back then they were one of the biggest teams in the land, at least one of the richest, one of the biggest spending ones. Uh, they had title aspirations. They had black Hill as the reigning champions uh, next door. So the pressure was on. And then you get you get you you start season off with a, a September defeat to, to a newly promoted Atlanta side. Of, uh, you know, I, I know people respect Atlas, Atlanta as a club right now, but back then they were really... You know, they were the specs of their day. Mm-hmm. Um, so, very similar circumstances. And what you had after the match was the coach complaining, some would say throwing his team under the bus, Fabio Capello, by saying, Look, there's really something, only so much I can do. But if I prepare the team to uh, defend against very avoidable goals that we've we've planned ahead of time, and then they go on the pitch and they do the exact opposite of what we've prepared, and they concede those goals, it's the very same goals that we prepared to defend against what Can I do this? That uh, I, I, this is, he said that it was the first time it ever happened to him on a Roma bench, and uh, that was re- his reaction on the fly. Then you had Francesco Totti, his captain, um, taking exception to the fact that Capello had seemingly placed all responsibility on the team in public and saying, Look, the blame is 50 50. But even Totti gave him the benefit of doubt at the beginning when he's reacting to Capello's comments by saying, Um, look, uh, Capello, does he does he have to be the guy responsible for transmitting some kind of like anger? You know, firing us up for the game, firing us up through mistakes and and uh, trying to like you know pushing us into reaction. There's really only so much he can do. He, you know, even Totti said at the time, it's it's down to us, the players on the you know, to actually carry that emotion onto the pitch and to react ourselves. And that 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 was. Um, those comments were goldmine to me because they touched upon literally what you were talking about last episode, which is, is the coach to blame for individual mm. areas? Yeah. Um, and it seemed like Totti and Capello at that time agreed that it's the players that are responsible. So that, that's really all I could say about it is, yeah. is it's, it's up to the players to, to really pull their pants up and, and just push through.
0: Agreed. Paulo Fonseca is not the one whiffing on the ball, that smalling whiffed on on Saturday. He's not the one stumbling on his own feet to pick up a slow roller across the box. So in many ways, I think that's on the players, like you said, and we won't harp on this because we've talked about this a lot recently. Um, Another issue we've talked about a bunch this, this first half of the season and for good reason are the issues we've seen in goal with Paulo Lopez and Antonio Mirante. Mirante early on looked like he would be able to do the job this season. And then that Napoli match came and he looked all of his 37 years old in that match and mm-hmm. has had some injury issues, had another clunker against Atalanta um, and Powell for, you know, the couple of nice saves he made against Inter has, again, looked like the Paulo Lopez we have come to loathe over the past season and a half where he just makes us want to yeah. pull our hair out um and you know we're in the middle of the winter mercato there has not been very much goalie talk because like you and i had mentioned earlier i think uh it might have even been with Brent too i was on an episode with him we don't see a goalie on the way i think all of us at cdt can agree that i i highly doubt any keeper comes in the next four days i'm looking at my calendar well, so. I mean,
1: the, story, the, the story of the past few days is actually Silvestri is, is, uh, He's pumped back up on the radar.
0: Yeah, I've seen that pop up. I, the thing is, I think it said it was uh, you know, contingent on Lopez accepting a loan yeah. to Verona, and I, I can't yeah. see that happening. Can, can you see that happening where he says, okay, I'm going to give up what he currently has, pretty much the, the starting keeper spot at Roma, for better or worse, uh, to go to a Verona? I don't know if I could see that happening
1: my my thinking is how, how depressed do you want to get if you're Pal Lopez, you know yeah. like, what, Are you are, you, are you banking on next week being better than the last? You know. Three, yeah. four? I mean, I, I know he's had those performances against Inter that you brought up, which, correctly, you know, he when it comes to reaction saves, yeah, yeah, he's, he's great, you know, but um, just the, the all round picture is is ugly, and uh, I think for for a guy in this situation, it, it looks like he needs a fresh start. Um, yeah. I. That could happen at Verona. You know, alone to Verona is harmless for the rest of the season, mm-hmm. so it could be in his favour. But uh, as you said, for now, if he sticks firm and he's the starting keeper at a big club, and uh, I guess if if he really, really believes that he can still redeem himself, then he's going to stick with it. Uh, yeah. I, I would have loved the Silvestri move to happen this week, but uh, yeah, as you said, probably probably Lopez on the way of that.
0: Yeah, I agree. Long term, Silvestre is not the keeper I'd want because of his age, and you know, I, I'd want a Carnejo or a Muso or someone like that. Like I pointed out in the goalie piece yeah. I wrote about a month ago. But you know, for a six month loan to finish the season, Roma could do a lot worse than Silvestre because when you look at his, you know, goals against what he's supposed to save, he saves everything he's supposed to save. We can't say that about Lopez or Mirante yeah. this season. That's that's the problem. You know, if they're saving what they should save we might have a few more points in the table. It was the same thing with Olsen two years ago. If he saved what he should have saved, we were in the Champions League the following year. So, um, you know, we've seen what
1: goalkeeper could do. I'm looking at it as purely... a. Yeah, I'm looking at it as purely a guarantee for the short term in terms mm-hmm. of you know, covering yeah. your bets to get to make that top four. Exactly. And maybe some Rashtri stays sticks around as like well, as in Morante's old position. Yeah. yeah. And, and then we get someone who really. Musso like, who puts us over the top.
0: But, exactly. Yeah. And our last trend we will talk about what is Pedro. Um, you know Pedro came over on the free this summer, toward the end of the summer window. Uh, I was a little wary of the signing because of his age. Um, I didn't know how much he had left to offer. Early in the season looked pretty good. I think he does bring a, a, a important leadership role to the team, especially with the young Spanish contingent that we have. Um, but we've seen his play drop off as the months have worn on, and he was heavily used early on, and even some little uh, niggling injuries recently. Um, so what do you make of his drop off? And then who do you think fills that
1: role moving forward? I'm surprised. I don't know what to make of it. I'll be honest with you. I really don't because it's not like when, – when I see him uh... – in his bad performances, it's not like a, it's not like it's a player who's um, tired and and not uh, in the right place at the right time. He 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 has good ideas. You know, he's clearly he's clearly mentally there when even when when he's supposedly tired and playing badly, it's his execution that is been mm-hmm. so bad. When when he's off, you know, like he he just can't get a pass right. Uh, it will go straight to the opponent. You'll give the uh, give possession away. Can't find a teammate. Um, it, it's. I've never seen an experienced player, or maybe never is an extreme word here, but rarely can I remember seeing an experienced player fail in execution.
0: And yeah. Normally,
1: if, if a guy is um, getting up in the, in the years and and he's, his fitness is a problem, it's that he just he looks like he's moving around the field like in a laboring way. But mm-hmm. Pedros all over the place, like he looks he looks as hungry as ever. You know, when he came off the bench the last two games, he he was one of the guys who was giving it his all. Um, it's just he. He messes up in a very Juan de very kind of way. Like, there's plenty of effort there, mm-hmm. but the execution is lacking. So I don't know what to make of that. It's, and and we as you as you pointed out a few weeks ago, we're the first club to to get Pedro sent off. Yeah, yeah. He never had a red card <laughs> in his career. Never before. in his career. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that's that's strange to me. To me, it's like a, it's an X file scenario where we've we've taken a player who I'd expect to be one of the mentally strongest in a team, and we've turned that on his head. Uh, I really don't know what to say about that because I, I, I find it very unusual, but uh, uh, maybe maybe you have a different take on that. I, I don't know who would fulfill his role without him in the team. It has to be Pellegrini so far because that's, that's what he's been doing.
0: Yeah. Um, it, it, it's been interesting because, like I said, I, I was a little bit you know skeptical because of his age when they brought him in. I, I see why they've decided to bring him in because of the experience factor, especially with some of the older players like Kolarov on the way out and then I was pleasantly surprised with the early performances, but it, it's become clear that he's obviously, I think he's 33 now that I, I think some of it has to come down to the age where he's maybe starting to lose a step or, you know, you, you start to slow down a little bit. And um, for a player like he is, you know, he's not like a striker who just stays in the box and at 33 can just tap home goals. If the ball's coming to him, he's got to make plays happen. And You know, I I don't know how much he'll have to offer Roma. I think if he's used in the right situations going forward, maybe as uh, kind of a super sub, that might be the best role for him going forward. Spot starter and, you know, come off the bench for 20, 30 minutes in other matches. Maybe he could provide a spark. Um, But clearly he can't be expected to play the minutes and, and rightly so at his age, to play 90 minutes twice a week or like he was early in the season. That was, I think, a bit much for him. Him and Mikatarian. And God bless Mikatarian so far, because up until recently, he was doing it every match. Um, but yeah. at their age, the, you have to look elsewhere. Pellegrini, thankfully, has stepped up in that role and looked very good. So I think he's the mm-hmm. immediate player to fill that role. Then I think the other option moving forward has is, is got to be El Sharari. Once he finishes his mm-hmm. move here, he will be another player that can fill in that attacking midfield role. If, if Fonseca sticks with the three four two one, you know I think it'll be a rotation of Mikatarian. Uh, Pellegrini probably is the starters for now with El Sharari rotating in Pedro rotating in here and there. Um, And then we always mention that wild cards on Yolo. I don't know if he'll be starting much before the end of the season, but I think he will have a role to play in the attacking midfield. And that's something I saw a a highlight video on Twitter last night that I had to retweet because I was like, man, I really miss what he brings to the table. You know, that that that. dribbling ability and the shoot. And it's just like, you almost forget because he hasn't played in, you know, six months now or so. And he hasn't played at all this season because he got hurt on international duty as the season was starting. Just how good he was for Roma, especially when he came back from the first knee injury, he was doing some, some, some beautiful things with the ball and scoring goals. So he could be a wild yeah. card there.
1: Um I mean, I think, I think, I think we're actually disagreeing on this point because I, I, I don't, I mean, I agree with you that the, the minutes were given to Pedro and the were excessive, you know, no argument for me mm-hmm. there, but I, I don't, Necessarily see Pedro's bad performances down to um, a lack of fitness or struggling fitness or, or being tired. I, I just I think I think the one thing where uh, I I probably agree with you and I, I never thought about it before you just mentioned it was that Pedro at other clubs when he was younger would be more so relied to be the you know, finisher to get ahead of, of players and, mm-hmm. and be the you know be the guy who puts on the finishing touch or or the, the last assist. You know, but uh, you yeah, know as you said now he's older. He has no choice but to, to start off the moves and, and be more of the, the provider, playmaker, for people to run ahead of him. And uh, maybe he's just not used to that because it's his passing that's just... Uh, mm-hmm. when, he, when, he, when he gets into a slump, his passing is really bad. Um, I remember at the Napoli match, we he he dropped deep to collect the ball on the halfway line or inside Rome's half. And he actually ran through the middle of the pitch only made it about 5, 10 yards and tried to pass this, make a square pass from the, middle of the pitch. No experienced player does that, it's, it, and, and if you do that, you definitely have to be sure that you're going to keep possession. You don't want to lose the yeah. ball in that sense. And that, that was one of the worst ways to lose the ball. Mm-hmm. So I just maybe it's just that he's adapting to a new kind of set of responsibilities. But I'm just I didn't expect Pedro to be this uh, like I didn't expect him to play like a, the the errors he making he's making are like a, a Primavera player that's just yeah yeah
0: that's the that's the the kind of scary part because if he's making those errors what's this you know he's one of our older experienced players so exactly um speaking of indiv- individual performances excuse me uh we're going to take a quick commercial break and then after the commercial break we will get into our you know first half mvp disappointments and things like that on an individual basis so stick around we'll be back in just a moment and uh we'll get into that. All right, welcome back to Across the Romaverse. We're back to the second half of our um mid-season review and we're going to the individual performances now. So Sean, I'm going to ask you straight out to start off what who is your first half MVP?
1: I mean, we we were just talking about him and I, I can't see past anyone else before I mention him. It's Henrik Mikitainen for me, uh the de facto Roma number 10 right now. He's at the heart of most moves in the final third of the pitch he's been called by several people including Fonseca as one of the most intelligent players to ever wear a Roma jersey um, he's on eight goals and eight assists so far mm-hmm. I think domestically yep. may, maybe more in all competitions um, so you know that's that's a very prolific form in terms of uh, it, just any kind of individual Roma player over a season so far if he keeps on that on that form it'd be one it'd be up with francesco totti's best i mean purely in numbers i'm not comparing the two players but um francesco totti's best from uh oh 07, six7 07. um other other totti seasons were good like i think it was around the turn of millennium 99 2000 so mcgatarian has really been the number 10 this season and the mvp for me i, I know there are others that are very close and, you know nipping on his heels, but i can only say mcgatarian how about you
0: yeah i i you know a couple weeks ago, it was clearly Mkhitaryan, and I think it still is Mkhitaryan. I agree with you. The player, to me, who's come the closest recently and kind of catching up if the, if this was like a, a horse race, neck and neck, uh, Mkhitaryan, I think, wins by a, a bit because those eight goals and eight assists put him over the top. But I'm going to have to say, say, you, you know what I'm going to say, right? Uh, Pe- yeah. Pellegrini is starting to nip at his heels a bit in my mind.
1: Oh, I thought someone else, but okay. Okay.
0: okay. I, who did you think I was going to say?
1: I thought you were going for Leonardo
0: Spizzola. Uh spinazzola has been very good, too. Um, I don't think MVP, team MVP level, but very definitely in the top three or four players probably on the team. Um, yeah. But I think Pellegrini's really starting to turn the corner. I looked at their numbers before we came on, and almost every number is similar to Mikatarian's. Pellegrini's a little bit higher passing percentage, but uh, yeah. he has four goals, four assists, which I think puts Mikatarian over the top because he's doubled both those numbers, and Mikatarian leads the whole Serie A in assists. But I think yeah. Pellegrini has really come on the last, you know, maybe month, month and a half to really at least get himself in the conversation of top three players of the season so far for Roma, maybe even top two players mm-hmm. of the season for Roma. And um, did, you,
1: did you see uh, that article that came out this week where Pellegrini's is in the top, the top five in the league for protecting the ball for the successful Yes. I, uh, so, I, which is the I, uh, VR's domain.
0: Yeah. I retweeted. I saw just the stat come up and I was very surprised um, and excited in a way because VR, I was not surprised at all. You know, that's his game. He's mm-hmm. a dribbler. He's that, you know, s- diminutive Spanish midfielder who holds onto the ball good in tight spaces. And Pellegrini yeah. was fifth, and he was in some good company. I don't remember the other players from the other teams, but uh, yeah, that know, speaks that to-, to...
1: Cassier uh, yes. and uh, I can't remember who else, but we're, we're talking about the top five in the league and not yeah. the top five in Roma. So, and, yeah.
0: and Pellegrini's not really known as a dribbler either. So the fact that he's holding onto the ball speaks more to his growth, which we keep talking about, um, yeah. myself especially, because he was one that in past seasons would give the ball away rather easily sometimes I think. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I think Mikatarian MVP Pellegrini's probably my runner up at this point. And I think Spinazzola, maybe third, um, if I had to go mm-hmm. top three, um, but who would be your most surprising player in a good or bad way? Um, and you know, where would you go with that?
1: Uh, I, I just had someone on my, on my mind when we would talk, when we were looking at this before, uh, it's
0: i could start and i'll come yeah. I'll, I'll give you a second yeah. to gather your thoughts but yeah. if yeah. i had to go with a good surprise you know a couple weeks uh, maybe a couple of months ago i probably go spina because he exploded onto the scene but we kind of saw the flashes from him second half of last year i think the biggest positive surprise for me um you know vr has been great but we kind of saw we knew he was a young talented player i think it's carsdorp just because okay. a lot of people wrote carsdorp off which is why i would tip him a little bit over vr um okay. I think he's been very good. I think he's, he clearly cemented himself as the right back. I know you, um, you, know, you you'd also like to defend Perez because he hasn't really done much wrong, but I think Karsdorp's done so much good that it's hard to dislodge him from a starting role in yeah. the more meaningful matches going forward this season. And I think, you know, you mentioned Fonseca getting players to play up to their potential at the beginning of the, the show. I think Karsdorp is a prime example of that. So I would go him as yeah. my, my surprisingly good player.
1: I've I've loved talking up Karsdorp ever since we signed him because on paper it made sense to me under Di Francesco he was really ideal for his football so um, I've always wanted Karsdorp to do well you know even yeah. even if I try and play devil's advocate for Bruno Paris I've I've never seen it as a Karsdorp versus Paris thing because I right. want them both to do well of course um, what Karsdorp brings that I really love is he's one of the maybe the first player I've seen who can really really. Get his foot around the ball, wrap it around it, and, and curl it, and, and deliver those really exquisite passes. Uh, not since David Beckham with the, with the old footballs back in the day, have I seen mm-hmm. that? Um, with these new kind of like beach balls from like 06 till now, it just seems like players have changed their technique a little bit. And Bakarsdup is a guy who can like, he can really like deliver a laser laser pinpoint cross like right to the striker's feet. And I love to see that. And I also like to see um, things that he's shown from his very first season, which is that he has an eye for an early pass. That's not necessarily that useful out wide, but um, still it's nice to know that you have that in, in your locker. Um, he can pass it to the front line and really split a defence open. So it, his passing is impeccable. I like, you know, I like to see that from Karlsruhe. It's, I just like to see that in general, really. So when he's in the team, I'm, I'm excited. Um, my, my most surprising player in terms of, uh, I, I'll, I mentioned a good first, but I have, I have one for bad. But good, I'd mention Brian Costante because mm. um, I've seen a, Costante play the ball faster than I've ever seen him do in a Roma shirt before. And before it was like, okay, if you give him time to put his foot in the ball, stop it dead, and he's got space to head him to like launch a 30 yarder, we know that he can, you know, he can find someone and he's good at that. But this is, you know, Costante this season is like, okay, he'll take the ball in his stride, he'll, he'll ping it first time. Yeah. Um, you know, he, he just he looks more mentally sharp than I've ever seen him mm-hmm. before. So that, that surprised me. Um my bad surprise though is I find Jordan Monsel too is just he gets a lot of free passes for yeah. average performances at best. Um he's ne- he's never gonna shine because he he's you know I, he's he's normally the kind of player I'd give the benefit of the doubt because he does so much work in the background or things off the ball that um, make other players look good and normally that's a player that i try and defend and say you know don't you know don't come down on him so hard because without him and the team other players would look worse but this season i don't i'm not convinced about him in this in this setup where the team is going right now um i i think he's he does good stuff still but i don't know if if our midfields going forward if he's really the answer if he's really really really, really that good you know like with him in the team, we've we've never been a top four team. So I don't know how other players in his role are performing relative to him. I should look that up, but I just don't. I don't think that he's that good today. Yeah, I was you know, I was. I, I, was
0: been- I was running through some names for like a disappointment while you, while you were talking about your good, and I was thinking, and his name popped into my head because the goalkeepers we knew could be an issue going in. You know, we we knew some of these other things that might be issues for Roma, but in, in some ways Vertu was the name that pops in my head for the same reasons, because he does work in the background. So we tend to give him the benefit of the doubt sometimes, because he does the hard work in the midfield. Uh, he makes someone like VR's job easier or someone like Pellegrini's job easier to be more creative um, and, and play the roles they like to play. But he hasn't been as much of a standout this year as last, um, mm-hmm. you know, and it, I, I think he, I don't want to say he's not important to the team because I think he is. I think everybody, every, player has an important role to play in this team because we have to win as a team but yeah i I think he's not irreplaceable like he seemed to be last season i think he was much more irreplaceable in the midfield last season
1: yeah i i think when i see him i think okay it's nice to have him as a rotation but i just don't i don't see him being going on to be like a a movable key leader of the of a team and and when i see him one-on-one he has the same weaknesses that he's he's always had which is that he, he gets beaten on the ball way too easily he even he even lets through passes that you shouldn't necessarily do I mean you made the point last episode about Pellegrini getting much better about blocking the passing lanes and intercepting Mm -hmm. I don't see that kind of like I don't see Red 2 maintaining his level of performance in that area I think it's it's boringly bad this year yeah so uh he's a bit of a sieve in materials in, in, in that sense. And,
0: yeah. The only um, yeah. highlight I can think of off the top of my head, and it was one of the more recent matches was against Inter when he took the ball off Barella to set up uh, one of yes. the goals in that match. Yeah, I was good. Yeah. But um, then I think back, he had, there was definitely a, a match. I can't remember which match where he kind of passed to the middle of the field and it was picked off and, and turned into a goal, the opposite yeah. direction. So we've seen those kind of mistakes, which I wouldn't expect from a player like him. He's not the player you expect to do that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, so I think for me, he's been the, the biggest surprising player in a bad way, kind of a disappointment yeah. in, in in some ways. But um, let's look forward to a player that maybe will be the most important going forward. I have an idea in my head, um, and I, I'll let you go first, and then I'll, I'll give you mine. Who do you think is going to be important
1: most going forward? Important player going forward. Um, I purely inter- like I don't want to I don't want to say Mkhitaryan again. So I, I just want to put it in a different context in terms of like what we've seen, how we've seen Roma have to react so far. Like the problems they have on the table and who could bring yeah, something new. That's what I, I think was thinking. I, yeah, it's either Bohar Merao or a long shot is Emma on on in terms mm-hmm. of like addressing the, the balance between offense and attack. You know, those are the two players that I think are it's important to see how Fonseca will use them going forward from now. Yeah,
0: um, I was going to go with the first name you mentioned, Meyerall. And that's yeah. not because I would have expected this a couple of weeks ago. But with all the drama going on with Dzeko, I think Meyerall's role is bound to expand. He's been playing well outside of the Copa match where he did miss some sitters. He responded very well by bouncing back nicely against Sassuolo. Well, we saw him against Crotone just lighted up. Um, mm-hmm. So he's showing that he can score at this level. And uh, it seems like he'll get the start on Sunday. Uh, yeah, Sunday this week, most likely against Hellas because Dzeko yeah. has been frozen out of training,
1: training alone,
0: training alone. <laughs> um, some reports early on said it was because of the same muscle issue he had last week when he missed the match. Others yeah, now I, are I've saying been, it's because I've, Fonseca is not want to
1: so up, up until this morning, it was it was very conventional individual training where mm-hmm. uh, he'd gone in with scans and it looked legit that like he had an injury. So it's it's very normal for players coming back from injury to be yes. given a personalized schedule. Mm-hmm. But this morning, uh, from reputable sources, it's just that Jekyll is now just being frozen out. He's yeah, refusing to apologize to the coach.
0: And that that becomes interesting because, like we mentioned a, a little while ago, it's only as of the recording. This is the twenty seventh. There's four days left in the mercato. I believe I believe yeah. it closes on the thirty first um and you know short time to find a replacement I know Giroud was linked today I don't know how uh, advanced I didn't get to read the reports too closely I was at work today but uh you know whether they bring someone in or Dzeko just gets frozen out and he he doesn't end up moving anywhere because he refuses to move to certain clubs because I saw a West Ham move was turned down apparently according to one source it could be Myrall's job almost exclusively with maybe an El Shirari as a false nine option if they can't unload Dzeko if he can't figure things out. So Mayral could take on a huge role going forward and a lot of pressure on, a, I think, he's a 23-year-old kid um, hmm. with the first year and said, yeah, it could make or break Roma's title chant, uh, not title, but rather top four chances if uh, they do don't you, have another striker.
1: Do you think uh, El Suarez can play that striker role? I, I've always fancied him more as a striker than as a winger. As a, as a, yeah.
0: I think he could against certain teams. Um, I think against some of the the other teams, you you know, maybe some of the tougher opponents, you might want a more conventional striker. I don't know. The the thing that's so tough to replace with Jako against certain teams, and you know, it's not always the be all end all because we've talked about this in the past. Is the hold up play against certain teams, depending yeah. on how you're trying to play. Yeah. Uh Nobody getting, else on getting the, in, uh, yeah.
1: Getting up in the air and being that long ball. Yeah, driver.
0: nobody yeah. else on the team can really play that role. The only other yeah. players that are big enough to like do that are like a Cristante, but he's not a striker you know, or yeah. the center back. So that puts them in yeah. an interesting position. They'd have to play a, a much more different way on the yeah. counter I, with Myerall.
1: I agree with you there, because even though I'm I I, you know, I I'm, I'm not that keen on El in terms of like, I don't see what um, problems he's actually solving for us, but I freely admit he brings goals. Like he can, yeah. he can score a goal out of nothing. So that's why I, I like him a striker. I like the idea of him a striker, but that yeah. is my one concern is that I don't see SES jumping up, no. fighting for balls in the air. No, he's just no it's not his game. That, so. Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah I think so. he solves the depth issues in the attacking midfield, and he can create goals. And some of these matches we've just seen, uh, especially in those Napoli Atalanta matches, Roma has been kind of you know out of ideas, out of goals, you know, scoring chances. And SES yeah. is the kind of player that on the on any moment can create a goal of his own. Yeah. Uh, I think right, that's I'm the biggest it. thing. Um, but any lineup changes you'd like to see going forward? Any individual changes, formation changes, anything you have in mind?
1: I mean, I just mentioned one of them. You know, I'm I I'm I'm his lone champion at this point. But <laughs> would you Diawara. replace
0: v- Vertu with him in that role, or w- where would you see him fitting? Because I don't think VR or that's Pellegrini a, leave the field right now.
1: That's a good question. You know, I if if we were to play Pedro and Mkhitaryan up front, I'd move Pellegrini back and play him with Diawara because mm. that that's a, that's a for me in my head that's a good balance. You have know, yep. got uh, a guy who's an anchor and a guy who can do it all. You know, he's not. Uh, he's not going to be the same level of energy as too but Pellegrini can put himself about yeah. and he's, uh, he's doing effectively this year. So I would go with that. But then again, some people would say you're crazy to drop Gonzalo VR. Mm-hmm. And I agree. Cause I'm a, I'm a, I'm a VR fan. Um, I I don't really know what the solution is. Maybe, maybe, maybe you could play VR as uh, the AMC, but I don't, I think that would probably happen as He's He's, He's doing well in that, in, that, in that, sitting ahead of the fence right now. So, I don't know. I For me, it would be when uh, I I'd drop VR2 uh, if it was to bring Diawara in. Um, but, uh, sorry, that yeah, that'd be dropping vr and VR. Sorry. Yeah. So that, That's a big change to ask of, of the team. But I'd try it because I, I find that um, it's just a little fine-tuning that needs to be done between how much the team defends and attacks. And maybe it's just something that you do with Diawara coming off the bench, like you suggested last time, you know, you start off with the to in the starting lineup and mm-hmm. then, and then the second half, when you're ahead in games, you bring on Diawara.
0: I could see that being a good, especially just to kind of ease him back in the, the lineup. When you get leads, Roma doesn't seem to defend them well sometimes. And they have those spells where they start to get overrun. And I think he could help break that up because he is a good defensive midfielder. Now, I don't really have a permanent change I'd like to see at this point. Um, unless, you know, unless the whole Jeco situation spirals out of control, then Myral probably becomes that lineup change that is, you know, kind of forced at this point. Um, but an idea I had, you know, this past weekend because Carlos Perez has been pretty bad. I think we can agree on that for the most part this year. Yeah. He hasn't really brought much to the table. And when Mikatarian and Pedro are out, El Shari still hasn't completed his move yet because the COVID is holding up his medical You know, if Roma almost looks like they're stuck with Pellegrini and probably Perez again, and Verona's tough. And if Perez isn't in good form, he's going to be, it's gonna be tough for him to break down one of the best defenses in the league. I think they might be top now after um, hammering Napoli this past weekend. And yeah, they're either top or level with Juve at the top. Okay. I had this crazy idea and tell, because I'm thinking back to his past. Would Brian Cristante fit next to Pellegrini for a match here or there in a, in an attacking role when they're kind of out of options besides Perez? Mm.
1: Mm. Because I, I think, sorry, if you want to I was just going to say, uh, because
0: they, they, they don't really have many other options right there if Perez yeah. isn't playing well.
1: I think, I think with those two, let's throw so Pellegrini more, more with Cristante. It, it depends on the opponent more yeah. more, more than one more of the depends on them because, uh, those guys need time and space to do that. Yeah. Especially Cristante. Yeah. You know, that's why I feel like he's been moving back on the pitch in his right. career, is that he gets that, that space mm-hmm. back. Yeah. Um, so, you know, as much as I I would love to see him go back to being a incursore, a uh, you know, guy who makes runs off the ball, run into the box and finishes it off. And I've I got nothing against that because that's what that's the Cristante I was excited to see at the beginning. But I think that at this point, we've seen him get confidence from. Uh, playing a different role, that it's it's almost like throwing in another, you know too many spanners into the schedule yeah, yeah. by asking once again to like I don't know just change his change his role up again. But I'm not I'm not against that. I, I you know if if Perez doesn't perform then yeah, uh, Cristante is probably a better better gamble right now. But mm-hmm. uh, Fonseca would really have to wake up in the morning and you know think oh my god. I just listened to CDTV TV podcast and Stevens, Stevens convinced me. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, and I,
0: I and I don't know if he wants to kill any uh, confidence that Perez might have left. If you kind of throw Cristante and yeah. could really be the yeah. mental end of Carlos Perez. Then you've,
1: then you've written him off. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But so there's one guy we haven't mentioned. Um, the signing a new Roma signing within the next 24 hours, if we're to be believed. Mm-hmm. Uh, Brian Reynolds. Do you do you see him making an impact this season, or is it just purely long term?
0: I, I think it's more of a long-term signing. Um, you know, he, he has only played, you know, I think maybe a ha- 15 games or so, I think in MLS, it's not, it's not even a, like a full season's worth of matches. I don't think, I think he's more of okay. one of those kind of VR signings with an eye in the future. And I'm not saying yeah. he's as talented or will be as good as VR long-term, but I think that's kind of the scope that this signing might be made with, um, you know, cause I don't, the, any rumors of Bruno Perez leaving in this window have died down that I, you know, from a couple months ago. So I think right yeah. now you're looking at Karsdorp starter, Perez backs up Spinazzola, and um, Karsdorp for the most part. I'd like to see Calafiore get a little more time um, yeah. at the left back rather than Perez in certain matches. But I, I don't think Reynolds has much of a part to play besides learning the language, learning the football culture, and kind of maybe he gets yeah. a, a spot here you know, spot there late in a match, especially with the five sub rule. Maybe they're up by three goals against Crotone. He's on the bench. You could throw him in there, but I can't mm. see much of an impact. What about you?
1: Yeah, that's fair enough. I I, I looked at what he's being signed on. He's being signed on 700,000 a year, I think, which is like, it's not from very level, but it's, it's like really like you're at the basement in the scene. Yeah. Sport. So, um, yeah, I think it's, it's a development year for him here and, and getting acclimatized, like you said, but uh, I, I'm. I like. I like the logic behind the move because mm-hmm. I see him being a driver with the ball. Uh, we're missing down that right flank, so it's yep. you know it's, it's it's a gamble, but it's a, it's a it's a one that makes sense and hopefully it works out. But it could easily be a bust. Who knows?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think they're signing for seven million. It's not chump change, but it's also not a lot these days. So I think it's it's definitely something that's worth a gamble. Um, and then you know we met, we've mentioned his name many times, but Paulo Fonseca was you know recently on the hot seat. Uh, um you know maybe the win against Spezia has kind of eased the heat a little bit maybe they turned down the the temperature you know from like three seventy five in the oven to like three fifty now you know they're kind of keeping it warm
1: yeah.
0: um yeah. but let's talk about Fonseca year one versus year two um where do you think he's improved and then maybe we could talk about where he still struggles as a manager what do you see
1: i think uh I, think he, I don't know if it's an improvement, but he's he's uh, he's clearly more humble than coaches gone by, like, say, Di Francesco, as much as I like him. He used to stick with his ideas no matter what. Um, Fonseca's shown that he's not that guy. He, he he uses the players he has at his disposition. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, I, I don't know if you could call that an improvement, because maybe he was always that guy at his former clubs where he did that. I mean, I know he did that at Shakhtar, for sure, because he, he wasn't um, necessarily on board with that, with that the game plan that they eventually turned out to bring back, uh, which they were playing under Luchescu before Fonseca. Then Fonseca brought it back and, uh, you know, he, he, he conceded to the players there. He's conceded to the players here in Rome as well And that he's seen we have players like Pellegrini, uh, Cristante, Zaniolo. You know, we, have a, we have a lot of young talent that likes to play vertical football. And uh, that's more or less the, the setup that he's, he's brought us into in year two, away from year one, where we, we're trying to play more towards... Uh, the strengths of like Mancini, Pastore on, on the ball in midfield, and Diawara, um, who was shining in midfield, playing more possession-based game. Now we're playing really towards uh, making those like those fast, strong young players uh, in the final third shine, and then Edin Dzeko on the side who is trying to keep up but is, is unhappy about this. Um, so I, I like the fact that he's um, really paid attention to the players he has around them and, and used the best of, of what he has. Um, yeah. What, what do
0: you think? Yeah, I, I think that has to be his biggest strength that we've seen. I, and I don't know if it's like an improvement, like you mentioned, um, because I don't know too much about his past, but I think a strength has been using the players that are at his disposal and playing to their strengths. I've, I complimented him for that, uh, you know, over the summer when Roma started to turn around, when they went to the three-man back line, you know, Mancini, Vanez were raised in the three-man back line in Atalanta. You have Spinazzola and Karsdorp, Karsdorp who are, Clearly, better natural like wing type players than yeah. um, actual defensive, you know, fullbacks. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, you know, he's played Pellegrini to his strength by moving him into that attacking midfield. Um, even so though One,
1: he, one thing, I, I always disagree with that take on Spinozola, but I understand where you're coming from. But I just In a back four, as a more defensive player, I would have no concerns over Spinazzola. Yeah, like, yeah.
0: I, more I from would, the attacking standpoint, I think I yeah, see it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because that's, defensively, that's where, you, yeah. That's where
1: yeah that's where i see where you're coming from because he, he looks like a player who's more excited to buy yes. by being further forward you know so, and again yeah, another ex
0: that. um another ex-Atalanta player who played that yeah. role at Atalanta so yeah. um that's been those those four have been big i think Pellegrini's been big even though he has showed he could play that center midfield role also this year for Roma but i think yeah playing players to their strength has been huge for him um even a player like Small, and we had some concern about shifting to a back three because he's never really done it in his career. Fonseca helped integrate him there, so I think player management has been very good so far. Jeco fiasco aside, right now, but I think that has more to do with Jeco, uh, you know, maybe having some gripes with what's going on than Fonseca as a manager. Because I think everybody else, and I mean Pellegrini, who looks like he will hold on to the armband from the reports I read, seems to be behind Fonseca in the in the in the way that his. Post game press conference, you know, comments or whatever you want to call it, he said, "We need to work as a team." You know, we're a team. We're going to win as a team if we're going to do good things. And I think that speaks to the manager. I don't think anybody's really had anything to say against Fonseca besides this this whole Jeco thing. It seems like,
1: you know, what I find that the most surprising thing this week is that not not just not just the players but media as well. I'm reading articles in Italy and around Rome, and. And, and also on Roma Radio, and very, very few people, if anyone has anything bad to say about Fonseca. Yeah. Almost everyone says it's not a good idea to get rid of him right now. Yeah. You know I'm saying like Fonseca is not the guy to blame. Whereas what they have done is the media have turned against the Freakins. Mm. They said, oh, suddenly that like, Freakins being quiet is a bad thing. Uh, the Freakins should do more. Um, are we really sure, you know, about Freakins uh, flying under the radar like this, that they refuse to give press conferences about their managerial appointments and their choices? Uh, you've seen that that unhappiness about recent bad results turn against the owner and the chairman and not the coach which is rare to me i I don't see that in rome usually it's it's unusual
0: and it's interesting too because um the freekins have been at almost every match since they bought the club whereas pelota was at like three in 10 years or whatever it was you know something crazy besides the, the the barcelona match where he jumped in the fountain after um so they, they are quiet, but they are present, so it's it's interesting. Yeah. I, I don't know if it's because Fonseca is such a likable figure, maybe, for the media that interacts with him, that maybe they don't want to throw him under the bus, so they have to find some kind of scapegoat. Um, maybe. I don't have too much of a problem with the Freakins being quiet so far. I think they're still kind of finding their feet as owners. Yeah. Um, I, I
1: like it that way, actually. Yeah,
0: I do, too. Yeah. Sometimes Palotto is a bit too much, you know, yeah. especially don't tell us you're not going to sell Allison if you're going to go and turn and sell Allison, you know, no matter, you know, you got great money, but don't, don't make those comments. Don't get people's hopes up. Right. Um, But Fonseca, you know, he does, he does need to improve in some areas. We will concede that even though I agree, he should still be here. Um, One of his struggles I think is utilizing substitutions um, in the second half and just sometimes managing the second half of matches, where it seems like other managers, the experienced Italian managers, especially, or experienced in the sense that they've been in Italy for a while, will, in the second half, just outdo him. We saw it with Gasparini uh, against Atalanta. Gasparini just completely seemed to outcoach him in the second half of that match. Um, even a player, uh, a manager like Gattuso, who's not the strongest tactical manager in the, the league from, from most reports. You know, He's kind of a, a player manager, a man motivator. Um, He outfoxed Fonseca in some way, so I think the second half, you know, making those halftime adjustments is somewhere where Fonseca maybe could help Roma find some more points in certain matches. And I, I sometimes the the lack of substitutions drive me mad. Like there's there's some matches where I'm like, okay, they're playing well. I understand why he wants to stick with what he has, but at other times you're like, you know, you're playing twice a week. Give Mikatarian a 20 minute rest at the end of a match, or give somebody more rest. Get Calafiori on yeah. the pitch for 30 minutes because we're up for nothing and Spinazzola doesn't need to play this. Those kind of things drive me mad a yeah. little bit what about you
1: yeah, yeah I, I i definitely agree with the subs um i i don't i don't know the the thick that like the the general in-game thinking of just football professionals behind substitutions because like you hear stuff some some things sometimes like uh, like village wisdom goes around like never make subs before the 60th minute or mm-hmm. that's the idea all the time i don't i don't know the logic behind this, that kind of stuff so i don't really know what influences um his substitutions but I've shared your frustration, where sometimes I, I feel like a sub is just there to be made, and for yeah. some reason it's not getting done. Um, I, I think that ties into what I'd highlight, which is a uh, question: his um, whether he believes in his his, his own credentials when it comes face to face to more senior players and more experienced players like mm. like Dekko, because this Jekyll thing is like almost changed the record between them overnight. You know, Fonseca yeah. a few weeks ago I said was in press conferences saying staring out as the home of making the most of technical players, regardless of their age. And now we've seen this season that Jekyll disagrees with that because you're not making the most of uh, Jekyll's quality or technique. You know, we, we would have expected, uh, if we were playing towards Jekyll's strength, we would have expected to play more of a possession holding onto the ball game is here, mm-hmm. where you, you, you force the opponent to drop back deep and then you make um, the, you know, the use of Dzeko's uh, better hold-up play at the edge of the box where you mm-hmm. can be that false nine, you know. Um, that hasn't happened. We've, you know, we've, we've, we've gone with a game plan that really makes Jako look second best and, and stuck in second gear. So, yeah, on one, on the one hand, weeks ago you had Fonseca saying one thing and then his actions reveal something very different. And that that suggests to me that he uh, he struggles with um, more like people who've won more in the game than him and mm-hmm. earn more than him. He struggles with telling him uh, what the real deal is. You know? Yeah, and that's not something that I. I would have expected to say about Fonseca, but so far that's, that's what it's showing.
0: Yeah. And for a, a somewhat younger coach, he's got experience, but for somewhat younger coach, sometimes it, it, it's got to be hard to deal with those, those senatori, so to speak, you know, yeah. whereas a Luciano Spalletti had no, no problem, you know,
1: yeah.
0: with the Totti situation and, and kind of telling Totti, you know, you're not a starter anymore, this and that, yeah. you know, he had that personality. So that, that is a difference where we see with Fonseca compared to some other past managers, um, I think we both agree on this because we've kind of hinted at it so far, but do you think his job should be at risk in any way?
1: Yeah, no, this isn't, I mean, we're not going to spend long on this because we, we yeah. both have said that. We, yeah. Fonseca is the man for the job right now. It's a shame Brendan's here because he would, yeah. he would offer the counterpoint, but yeah.
0: Yeah. I to me, he's got point. a He's got at the very least got to finish out the season. Mm-hmm. And to me, if Roma finishes top four, which is what we all hope for, I think he should be back next season too to continue what he started, especially if we get a couple wins against those top eight teams. Um, I I see no, no reason to to push him out the door. So looking ahead um, now that we agree that he should be here for the second half of the season, let's talk about some predictions for the second half to close out here. So um, any possible changes you would look at tactically personnel or otherwise?
1: Well, uh, pretty much what I just, I just touched upon, which is that uh, let's say opponents start playing, uh, playing that low block against us, which doesn't happen as much as you'd expect. Um, or we, you know, we like the team gets tired, more tired, and they can't, they can't put in that energy for 90 minutes to try and move around opponents and, and create those gaps to, to counter within. Then we probably, I'd expect us to, to look at at least evaluate looking at um, more of a possession based game where you bring Jekyll, it sounds strange to say it, but bring Jekyll off the bench, um, use him as like, uh, use him for the qualities you know he has, you know, be, be that lubricant um, in, in the hole. And, um, you know, then you get to rest guys like, uh, you get to rest the minds of guys like Mkhitaryan and Pedro and, and Pellegrini. You know, they, they can take a spell out team, or they can move to the side a little bit and make less decisions, give that decision-making to Dzeko. And, uh, you know, that would be a way to, to break down teams like, 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 as you're saying, the Verona's that are coming up, you know, mm-hmm. I know you said that Manorales movement would offer a bigger danger. And I agree with you. I agree with you for now, but, um, Later on in the season, if, if you, if you want to change things up a little bit, I think that's a different side of, uh, you know, tactically that you could show about the team and, and using, the, using the personnel in a different way.
0: Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, because I looked at some of the stats before we came on and I think Roma for the season is at 50.3% possession which is, uh, lower yeah. than I expected. I know they do seed possession often to counterattack, but when you're yeah. one of the top five or six teams in the, in the league, you would expect to control possession against, you know, 13, 14, maybe 15 other opponents. Maybe you, you see to like the Juves of the world and try to counter against them. Um, yeah. so I was expecting closer to like 55%. So yeah, I think a little more possession could be a change we see in certain matches. Um, you know, yeah, I don't see much other changes, you know, personnel wise, maybe Meyer all, like we said, takes on a bigger role because of this Dzeko situation Um, yeah. keeper who knows if we continue the, the musical chairs kind of situation where it's a carousel <laughs> of when Binante's fit, he gets a star. And then if he fails, it's back to Lopez.
1: Can um, it finally be for, for breakthrough? Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: I mean, he, he got a little time in the, the Copa, but the poor kid had to give up those two goals when they were down two men. So he was, he was uh pretty much up against it there. Um, but, you know, maybe a certain match against a, a Crotone or someone, maybe he'll get a match. Or maybe, you know, Mirante's hurt and Lopez gets another silly red card at some point. We hope that doesn't happen. But who knows? Mm. Fusato might see himself in a match. <laughs> um, key matches, I mean, I think it starts off right away with, with Verona and Juve back-to-back. You know, Verona's not a traditional power, but, you know, they they handled Napoli last week after giving up an early goal 3-1 um they've mm. been a Thornton in Roma side when they held them 0-0 to open the season they are a quality side Juric is showing to be a quality manager um I think someone yeah, that is, Roma uh, will uh, have an eye on if Fonseca does go at the end of the season
1: uh, that's egg on my face because when Juric got um who is it
0: uh, Genoa was it with Genoa when he got sacked
1: yeah I think it was I, I was going to say he got them relegated but obviously he didn't uh, no like he got sacked before they could
0: he might've gotten somebody else real but yeah, he, he didn't last that. I think it was general. Yeah. I just um, felt
1: like, I felt like it wasn't cut out for this coaching role, but now he's yeah. come back with Avengers of Verona. So yeah. yeah.
0: And Verona, they, you know, they do it without a, a great roster of players in many positions, especially mm-hmm. this year compared to last they've, they've lost a lot of talent yeah. uh, which we mentioned last episode. And um, you know, I think it's any, any match against a top five or six opponent is going to be a, a key match to going right. forward especially if Roma can continue to do what they've done against the smaller sides in the league. If they, if they beat all of the bottom 10, again, uh, bottom 11, which they did in the first round, which is where they got a lot of their points from. Um, Mm -hmm. In fact, 33 of their 37 came against the bottom 11 teams where they got those, uh, they got four points off of draws against the top part of the table, I think is how it worked out. Um, Yeah. They're going to have to find some wins.
1: I remember it was Garrett on the forum who made the point that uh, if if Roma go on to keep winning those games that you should, and then, and then go on to actually turn around those results against the big teams. And you're talking about championship winning form.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) If they, 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 because we've seen Milan has drawn Parma, who's 19th. We've seen Inter draw Parma, who's 19th and other results like that. And Inter drew Udinese 0-0, where that's a team Roma found a goal against, you know, Roma... For so many years, we've said if Roma could just beat the Parmas and the Kievos and teams like that, they would have won probably a, a title or more, two. More, more yeah. trophies, yeah. Um, so, yeah, they're it's finally a, doing couple, that now. They just need to beat a couple good teams.
1: Yeah. So it's, it's a come to no surprise, Paolo Fonseca, if you're listening, that uh you know we're, we're talking about every key match, every match being a key match in the yeah. second half of the season. <laughs> And uh, we expect nothing less than title winning form from you. So yeah, no, no, no pressure there. No pressure whatsoever.
0: And, and in all honesty, if they, even if they lose a couple of those top eight matches, which is bound to happen, because when you play that many good teams, you're bound to lose a couple of matches. Mm. If they turn one of those draws and one of those losses into wins in the second half, you are talking about five more points and you're talking about a 42 point second half. If they replicate the bottom half, you know, form, that's no. gotta be good enough for a top four finish if not top yeah. two or three, or maybe even push for the Scudetto this season. So yeah. Um,
1: for, for me, for me, key matches are Lazio, Napoli, mm-hmm. Atlanta, because well, see how they respond. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. See how they respond. We've seen those, those teams specifically uh, be better at counterattacking than Roma. Mm-hmm. So what are Roma going to do? You know, I want to see their response or misresponse in those games. Uh, if we, if we end up losing a dropping points to Inter or Milan or Juve, those teams have great players, so it yeah. could just fall down to chance, or could you know on the day there could just be something that happens where we say, well, that was just too good, you know. But Lazio, Atlanta, Napoli, I felt that at our level, um, yeah, and yeah, I want to see, I want to see how Roma reacts in those games.
0: Yeah, I think that's the main competition for that fourth spot, um, yeah. and. I'll point to Juve just one more time because can you imagine the the mental boost it would give Roma if they can go to the Allianz Arena in, in two, a week and a half time oh, and, sure. and find three points? If they can do that, then you know yeah. they should have no mental issue against any of the rest of these teams. For sure. Um, and if Juve was ever vulnerable, it, it's this season at, in the last yeah. decade. So let's hope for the best in these next two matches. So we'll leave it with our second-half MVP prediction. Sean, who's, who do you peg as the second-half MVP for Roma?
1: I'm gonna say someone we haven't mentioned. Uh, I'm gonna chuck in Gonzalo Villar's name because mm-hmm. uh, he's been so influential so far. If he if he you know continues on the on the rate of progress he's on, I mean we could be very 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 subtly could be the guy who who strings together everything Roma in the in the way that makes the biggest difference. So that, yeah. that's my that's my take on it. Yeah,
0: so I'm going to go with one of my favorite players in the team who has been playing very well of late, which is Pellegrini. I think yeah. uh, it. I think if he does inherit that armband, I think he is ready for it. And I I think that might even give him another little bit of motivation to prove himself even more on top of what he's done so far. And I think Mkhitaryan will slow down a little bit because of the age. I don't expect eight and eight in the second half. Um, But if Pellegrini gives us another four and four or six and four or something like that, that would be a huge haul for him. Um, And you mentioned VR. I mentioned Pellegrini. One thing I I, I hate to see on social media um, among Romanisti is that it's almost like you can either like only like one or the one other, which makes yeah. which yeah. makes no sense to me because they can play two different roles for the team, yeah. especially now with Pellegrini playing further up the pitch. They're not even really competing for minutes anymore. So I hate yeah. to see people bury Pellegrini to favor VR or vice versa. I, I hope they both, you know, put their, yeah. their name on the ring for MVP because that's the best thing was, for the team.
1: I was just about to say as a joke that we, we just lit the touch paper on, on that yeah. on rivalry. <laughs> but, but, uh, deep down, I agree with you. I, I don't – I never like it when – uh, seemingly, like praising one player comes at the expense of another. You know, it's, yeah, there's enough to go around. And, um, but I think I think where it comes from is that uh, the question is like, who do you, who do you build the team around from now to right. the future? You know, like either either you have to uh, sign players that complement VR or you have to sign the players that, as a first priority, you know, I'm not saying you can't yeah. sign players with both, but as a first priority, they complement Loretta Pellegrini. So uh, I mean, for for myself, I'd say the a team around VR, but I I agree with you in the sense that Pellegrini getting the armband is a is an extremely interesting story, and you know, I want to see how he reacts and, and if that really you know even takes him to an even big, bigger level because he's certainly doing great so far.
0: Yeah, yeah if, he, if he if that captain's armband on a full time basis has motivates him in the same way it did against spezia where he really put the team on his back at at some moments in that yeah. match to try to get him over the edge. I think then we're talking about a true Roman captain, like we used to see Totti and De Rossi doing. I'm not saying he's on the same level as them in any way, shape, or form at this point mm-hmm. in his career, but just from the mental, the attitude, the yeah. being, being a Roman. How much it edge. Mean, yeah. It's a psychological edge. And I know a, a captain doesn't have to be Roman, but I feel like it just, they, they hold so much of the city pride in them and the team pride that it, it almost resonates with the team sometimes. And I think that sometimes that's so big. Um, yeah. But there you have our, our mid-season kind of report card for the team. We hope that, you know, when we come back for the end of season one, Romo is all still in the top four, third place. I'd take it in a heartbeat, um, you know, and I think Roma has what it takes to finish top four. And and I hope they, you know, do what we think they can, especially in a, a Serie that's wide open. Um, you know, yeah. they kick it off against Hellas in just a few days. So, Sean, any closing thoughts before we leave?
1: Uh, like you said, uh, with – FFP being sort of like delayed or suspended this year, it's, it's the best opportunity you'll have in, in a long time to make that top four and, and really like uh, sort of settle the club's finances in a, in a much quicker way than you would be looking at without Champions League income next year. So, uh, yeah, Roma could do themselves the biggest favor by getting in that top four this this season. Um, it's really, I don't want to say all or nothing, but it's as close to it as possible because it's, it's Fonseca's job on the line. It's, um, it's the club's long-term medium to long-term future on the line. You know, without it, we're looking at selling players again, uh, even more so than usual. So yeah, I don't, I don't want to explode this team. I want to build on this team. And for that, we need to be in the the highest echelon next year.
0: I agree. I like a lot of the pieces. So with that, we'll leave you, uh, you know, check back to the site for all of our regular match day coverage coming up in the next couple of days, as we get to the weekend and uh, all of our post-match coverage after Roma plays on uh, Sunday afternoon. They've got the, the last match of the weekend, so we'll have a good idea of what the other teams do before Roma plays Hellas and where we may be able to stand by the end of the weekend. And uh, Shona and I will we'll be back next week for a wrap of that Roma-Hellas match. Hopefully we'll be smiling mm-hmm. when we record, so we'll catch hopefully,
1: you guys later. Hopefully, hopefully we're not talking about clean sheet from, yeah. from Verona. <laughs>
0: <Yeah. laughs> <laughs> Alright, we'll catch everyone later.